Welcome to Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur, where I drink, discuss, and discover the world of distilled spirits. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. This is episode 21, and I'm drinking Talisker Single Malt Scotch Whiskey, the Distiller's Edition. With each episode of Liquor in the Core Connoisseur, I hope to be well-researched and educational, also entertaining and consistent in my reviews. Talisker is being featured in this episode because this particular bottle was a congratulatory gift I received recently for having finished something I started a decade ago, and that's fitting that the whiskey in the bottle is also 10 years old. A note that accompanied the bottle read in part, I recently discovered Talisker from the Isle of Skye. It's wonderful, rich, smooth scotch. I hope you enjoy it. So let's find out what I think. This particular bottle of Talisker is a standard 750 milliliters. Like all Talisker other than the cask strength, it is bottled at 45.8% ABV, making it 91.6 proof. It retails for around $80 US. The Distiller's Edition is also a vintage, so it has a special label code on the bottle. It is TD-S-5UG, and that makes it a 2018 bottling of a 2008 distillation. So now to the fun part. Let's open this up and do a tasting. But before I peel the foil off and uncork this bottle, I wanted to take a moment and talk about whiskey as a category, scotch specifically, and the ritual of tasting that comes with whiskey. More so than the other types of spirits I've covered thus far in this podcast, whiskey as a category has a huge fan base. It's known worldwide, and the ritual of tasting is something that really adds to the enjoyment of the spirit. In particular, whiskey has its own glass. Um, I've been using it from the start for all liquors and liqueurs that I taste on this podcast, and I've referred to it generally as just a nosing glass. That's a bit of a misnomer. It's actually a Glencairn, which is a specifically designed whiskey glass. Uh, It's got a short, stubby, stout base so that you can hold it, not put a lot of skin contact with the bulb of the glass so you don't heat the spirit up. The shape of the glass was specifically designed so that you can get a pour of the whiskey neat, swirl it around, not have it splash out the top, really gather the nose and the aromas in the glass. It's large enough to get your mouth in and get a good tasting. So the glass is important as well. For tastings in general, one of the key things I've come to learn in doing this podcast and enjoying spirits and watching others do tastings is that the vocabulary available to the taster can make all the difference. When you've had a lot of whiskey, practiced, compared, taken notes, you're able to build a mental library of flavor profiles that may allow you to be more precise when you convey the flavors you're experiencing to others. It's not really to say that you have a more sophisticated palate or nose for whiskey. It's just that if you're a big whiskey drinker, you've trained yourself to identify nuance and reference commonly understood language to convey your experience. Humans don't have a particularly developed sense of smell compared to many animals. And one of the things about smell in particular is that we don't have a good shared understanding of smells. We use what's referred to as the odor object metaphor. Basically, we describe a smell as a thing. So strawberries smell like strawberries. Smoke smells like smoke. A rose smells like a rose. So all this setup is to say that smell is subjective. And while physically I may be experiencing the same reaction to the chemicals I taste or smell in the whiskey that you will, 
I may describe those experiences and sensations differently based upon my stored knowledge of reference flavors or images. If I'd never had a strawberry in my life, I may describe a strawberry as smelling or tasting a bit like a kiwi, but I digress. We're all really making it up as we go, grasping for a way to put words to a smell or flavor. So, now, let's open this bottle of Talisker. And of course, I'm going to be tasting it neat at room temperature and using my nosing glass, the Glencairn. Okay, here we go. Taking the foil. It's like a little zipper. Get that off. And the pop. <laughs> and now the pour. First off, in the glass, the color, it's a beautiful dark amber, a little bit reddish, very clear. Has nice legs as I swirl it. And let's try it on the nose. I get campfire. It's a light smokiness. I want to describe it as a, there's a flavor that's sweet. I'm going to say it's apricot, maybe but maybe that's a honey flavor. There's some spice, a little pepperiness. Mm. It smells very good. It smells like whiskey. Yeah, I, I get some smokiness. There's peat for sure being scotch, but not, it's not overpowering. I've had some that are just smacking the face peaty. This is not that. I guess I would say it, it almost has a mellow nose to it. Well balanced. Nothing is really overpowering. So it's a well balanced nose. So let's give it a taste. Hmm. Oh, that's nice. That's spicy. Ooh. I get pepper. It's very uh, smooth, sweet at first, but the spicy pepperiness, almost like a, a chili pepper spicy, but um, yeah, and Talisker I've read is known for being spicy. It's a balanced spiciness. It's not offensive, but I get it on the side of my tongue, tip of my tongue. And as I swallowed the aftertaste and consume it, the pepperness comes through. Let's try another second taste. Mm. At first you get sweet, and then it goes to uh, a faint saltiness, kind of a little brininess on the finish. The spice is not nearly as pronounced on the second taste for me. I had a sip of water between the tastes. Uh, there's smokiness, but it smells smokier than it tastes. This is a very nice scotch. I think I agree with the sentiment of the note I received with this bottle that described Talisker as wonderfully rich, smooth scotch. I would concur. They left out the spicy, but that adds to the experience, I think. As I go back for more, the, the sweetness and the 
subtle smokiness and I get more of a briny hint of saltiness to it. And the, the pepper does not build up for me. I was a little afraid it would just get too hot and kind of build upon itself. I think the initial pepper came through. The ethanol, the proof of this may have added to that slight burn, but I think it's the, the spicy pepperiness more so than the alcohol content. Now, on to the history of Talisker, the distillery that brought me this specific bottle. Talisker's history. It's the oldest distillery on the Isle of Skye in Scotland, and in episode 17, I covered Drambouille, which is a Scotch-based liqueur from Skye as well. It has a very interesting story unto its own, so listen to that episode if you haven't yet. But unlike Drambouille, Talisker was established in 1830 and has basically been going ever since in the same location on Skye. As of the time of this recording, they're only a decade off from a bicentennial. The name Talisker is said to be derived from either a Scottish Gaelic term, which I'm going to mispronounce, but I'll give it a go. It is Talafskyr, meaning land of the cliff, or a Norse or Nordic term, Talherskacher, which means sloping rock. And I am sure I totally mispronounced uh, Norwegian or Nordic text. Both make sense due to the distillery's location, though there's still an ongoing debate about whether or not Talisker is Gaelic or Norse. Be that as it may, Talisker is the name of the area on the Isle of Skye originally claimed by Clan MacLeod. Way back in 1825, brothers Hugh and Kenneth McGaskill arrived on the Isle of Skye from the smaller Isle of Egg. Five years later, they founded Talisker and built the distillery on the shore of Loch Harport. And apparently, the distillery construction was against the wishes of the local clergy. The McCaskill brothers did acquire a lease on the land from the clan MacLeod, though. The McCaskills had a pretty good run. They ran Talisker for 27 years, but on Talisker's website, it notes that in 1857, they leased the distillery to Donald McLennan. McLennan didn't seem to be much of a businessman, though, because he was bankrupt by 1865, just a handful of years after he'd obtained the lease. And by 1866, the lease went on to a Glasgow agent named John Anderson. And Mr. Anderson himself went bankrupt in 1879. So a string of a few successes and a couple of bankruptcies led to 1880, when the distillery seems to get a better footing. Nothing really says the whiskey wasn't a success, but management of the business due to the various changing of hands needed better improvement. And better management arrived in the form of two men, an Alexander Allen and a Roderick Kemp, who apparently had ownership stakes. In 1892, two things of note which may or may not have been related occurred. So one was that Roderick Kemp sold his ownership stakes in Talisker. He had made a tremendous profit by all accounts from his buy-in in 1880 to when he sold in 1892, and he used the profits from the sale to buy Macallan. Also in 1892, a new lease for the distillery was negotiated with the chief of the clan, MacLeod. The annual payment was to be 23 pounds and a few pence, plus a 10-gallon cask of the best quality Talisker. Being situated on an island, all of the distillery's product had to be shipped via boat or ship, and most of the inputs were not grown on sky. They still are not. Barley doesn't grow on sky well, so it is imported. 
So they had to row out to waiting ships because they didn't have their own pier. However, in 1900, they were able to negotiate building a pier with Glenn McLeod. In addition to the pier, they expanded with some improved worker housing and a tramway to transport the barrels of whiskey. Ownership changed again in 1916 when John Walker and Sons and John Dewar and Sons, famous names in the whiskey business, formed a consortium to take over. And in 1925, this consortium became Distillers Company Limited, or DCL. And DCL is an ancestor of Diageo, who now owns Talisker. As I mentioned earlier, Talisker has been going strong on the Isle of Skye since 1830, except for 1941, when, due to war rationing, they shut the distillery down. But post-war, they were back in business, until 1960, when an accident caused a still to overflow. At the time, the stills were still coal-fired, so it was an open coal fire under the stills. The high-proof whiskey was set ablaze when it came in contact with the open coal fire, and it eventually consumed the entire still house, destroying all five stills. Two years later, though, the five stills and the still house that were lost in the fire were replaced with replicas that were still heated by coal. They were converted to steam heat in 1972. That was more for economic reasons. It was more efficient than any concern of having an open coal fire. 1972 was the same year that Talisker ceased floor malting their barley. The malt now comes from the Glen Ord Central Maltings in the Highlands. Talisker today is a very well-regarded scotch worldwide. Uh, They have a very strong following, and they produce about 3.5 million liters of spirit annually. So let's talk about how Talisker is made and how their unique distillation process creates the flavor. They're using locally sourced ingredients. It's a medium peat level that they add to the local malt. They grind and mash and create an exceptionally clear wort, which is then fermented and distilled. The stills are where the magic happens. Talisker's pot stills are very tall. They have long, thin necks that run horizontal to the ground. This neck is atop what's referred to as a bowling ball shape at the bottom, and these pot stills create a lot of reflux. Reflux is redistillation as the steam evaporates, cools and condenses, then heats up again to evaporate and condense again, etc. as it goes up through the neck of the still. A column or continuous still, also known as a coffee still, named for the man that invented it, is specifically designed for reflux, but the shape of Talisker's pot stills allow for more reflux than other pot stills. The shape of Talisker's pot stills allow the distillers to have a fine amount of control to the congeners and other flavor agents that come through in the distillation. I've seen other reviewers say that this long horizontal neck is where all the spiciness comes from. They've referred to it as a chili catch. It's the source of the peppery spiciness of the spirit as the redistillation, the reflux, allows some of the flavors that would normally be left in the pot to get through and go through in the final spirit. Most distillers, Talisker included, are very hesitant to change anything about the shape or the construction of their stills as the physical properties can have a big influence on the final flavor of the spirit. This is why after the fire in 1960, the pot stills were replaced with replicas. They tried to match as much as they could every dent and ding and the shape and position as much as they could to retain the flavor of Talisker. 
Copper as a still material was likely used early on because it's very malleable, but there's other properties that make it a great material for stills. It conducts heat very well. It also resists fatigue from repeated heating and cooling, the expanding and contracting. But the most important reason a whiskey still is made of copper is because it improves the flavor. The metal the still is made out of affecting flavor sounds a bit odd, but it does affect flavor due to chemistry. When yeast metabolizes in fermentation, they produce a lot of sulfur compounds, but when the yeast dies in the mash during fermentation, these sulfur molecules are able to break free from the dead yeast bodies, and then the sulfur goes into solution. You end up with a hydrogen sulfide, which is the smell of rotten eggs, and dimethyl trisulfide, which tastes like rotten vegetables. But through, I don't know, just happenstance, copper bonds with sulfur better than hydrogen does. So in the presence of a copper still, you get copper sulfide rather than hydrogen sulfide. And the copper sulfide creates a patina similar to a rust. It's essentially a type of rust on the inside of the still. Large buildups of this blackened copper sulfide eventually will flake off, so the walls of the still will thin out over time, and they require routine maintenance and repair. But in so doing, repairs will often strive to recreate the small little dents for fear that a change in shape could change the flavor, maybe by affecting the amount of reflux that occurs in the still. And due to this chemistry, Scotch whiskey stills have a lifespan of about 25 years or so before the walls become too thin for use and they need to be replaced. So the regular 10-year-old Talisker is distilled in these same pot stills, and then it's barreled in American oak and it's stored away in warehouses for a decade. What makes the distiller's edition that I've been drinking so special is that it gets a second maturation in used Amoroso sherry casks. In Amoroso sherry casks, there's a bit of residual sherry in them. This lends some fruitiness, a bit of sweetness from the residual sherry, and the Talisker that's already 10 years old will spend an additional six months or so in the Amoroso sherry casks. In addition to the sherry, of course, the wood from the cask helps flavor the spirit as well. And you're left with this wonderfully rich, smooth, peppery, slightly sweet, nice, smoky Talisker Distiller's Edition. It's a fine scotch. It hardly needs to be mentioned, but this Talisker should not be mixed. It's meant to be enjoyed straight, just neat. You can add a few drops of water if that's your prerogative. The water will open up the spirit. I can talk about that more in detail in another episode on the chemistry of why adding water to your whiskey will change the flavor. But really, you just want to sip it, enjoy a wee dram. Talisker's website does really promote, though, that Talisker is made by the sea. And so they have on their website currently suggested pairing of Talisker with fresh oysters. They suggest that you take a little sip of Talisker, then eat your oyster and pour a touch of Talisker back into the shell and shoot it out of the shell. I'm not an oyster fan, so I will pass. So in summary, what do I think of Talisker Single Malt Scotch Whiskey Distiller's Edition? It's probably the best scotch I've ever had. I've not yet had a tremendous amount, but everything is going to be measured against this bottle. I enjoy it. So that's going to do it for this episode of Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. Hopefully you found this episode educational and entertaining. 
If I've ruined your native language, if you happen to speak Gaelic, please correct me. Same with Norse. I don't even know if it's meant to be Norwegian, but I apologize. Please subscribe and share to this podcast. Show notes are on Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur. The research I did, everybody will be referenced. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts. This show is also on social media. Facebook and Instagram is where I post photos. Connect with me there and please leave me your feedback. And as always, thank you for listening. 